Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. While speaking to children about how to protect their body and their privacy can be an uncomfortable conversation for parents and for children. However, it is an incredibly important conversation to have. Now here in Australia, state and territory governments have the statutory responsibility for protecting children from child abuse and neglect. However, there are separate jurisdictions between each state and territory, and this can result in some children falling through the cracks. So today, in particular, we are specifically addressing children living in rainbow families. Now, this is defined as any family with children, which there is one or more LGBTIQA parents as one such demographic. So to discuss this topic today, we welcome our special guest, Karen Craigie Prosper, also known as Project Australia's Executive Director. Now, Prosper um, is a multi-award winning community organisation founded to support disadvantaged children and their families at home, at school and in the community. Now, today, Karen is going to speak with us about how she had identified a unique gap in child safety programming and how it has been addressed uh, with a tailored protective behaviours program developed especially and specifically for young children um, living in rainbow families. Thank you for joining us, Karen. How are you? Thank you so much, Rachel. It's really wonderful to have an opportunity to talk to you today and to speak about this really important issue in the program that we've got happening. Yes, and thank you for your time also. Now, I understand that Prosper Australia or Project Australia and Rainbow Families have developed, as I just mentioned, a number of age-appropriate child safety resources that are tailored specifically for children living in uh, Rainbow Families, which we're going to speak about more in a moment. But just firstly, I would love to just to understand how do children from Rainbow Families face additional complexities in child safety? I mean, can you give us just some examples? Absolutely. So there's a, a number of different issues, and I think the most uh, you know, the most fundamental thing is that all children um, are vulnerable to risks and to anything we can do to increase their protective factors and reduce risk is really important. But there are some additional risks for young people in rainbow families. So the first um, is that they do and can face uh, anti-LGBTIQA plus um, attitudes and behaviours, uh, and that can take many different forms. So it may just be some negative attitudes that people have towards their family. It may be bullying that they experience in addition to the sort of standard bullying that children uh, can experience at school. There's also uh, a a sense uh, amongst the community uh, in terms of just the way that relationships can be more complex. So as an example, there are lots of children living in rainbow families who actually come from foster families or who have been adopted. And on that basis, they have extended families and they have perhaps some existing vulnerabilities if they've already come through the child protection system and now they're in a a safe and wonderful rainbow family, uh, but they may have other 
uh, biological parents or other members of the family uh, where they're, they're dealing with some additional risks and things. So there's that as well. Um, it's difficult to be a child of any age and certainly as children get older, they can have concerns or embarrassment as well about their own identity. They can take some time to find out who they are. And that, of course, is compounded um, with some complexity when there's a lot of other things going on in your family. So mm -hmm. uh, certainly some additional complexities there for young people living in rainbow families. So how are those complexities and issues not typically covered in traditional child protection programming then? So, look, essentially the content that we have created is by and large suitable for, for all families because it's really relevant for any child to understand how they can protect themselves, to understand the importance of building networks and things. Um, but not every child has to go to school, for example, and face homophobic behaviour because of, of their parents. So, knowing what to say, knowing um, about allies and supporters, about specific <clears throat> networks, having some support around you and some idea that you're not alone, that can be really valuable to a young person who is experiencing, yes, what a lot of young people do experience, but also that additional layer. And so that's really what we've tried to uh, address. <clears throat> so by and large, the content of our programming uh, as, a, as an organisation that works with children and families across the board, is very generalised and certainly suitable for anyone to pick up and use. However, we have made the extra effort to just add on some extra bits and pieces that will help young people in rainbow families. So that, those extra bits and pieces really are where things will differ. Okay, that's brilliant. And we're going to sort of sort of dig deep into some of that information in just a little bit. But before we do that, I just wanted to acknowledge that we had published your article. Now, the title of that is New Program to Help Children in Rainbow Families to Stay Safe. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? Absolutely. So I wrote the article because uh, my organisation has partnered with Rainbow Families and Rainbow Families is a peak organisation in New South Wales that supports uh, families with children uh, that are from the LGBTIQA plus community. And we have been working on a project that I can certainly talk about at great length. And we had just released this new package of resources and materials. And so really important to use your wonderful resource to uh, get the message out to others. So that's, that's really why uh, we wrote the article. But behind that is the deeper issue that we were identifying that there were, um, there were extra needs and complexities, as we've just discussed, that children living in rainbow families um, can face. Mm -hmm. Now, the project that we're working on is, is broader, uh, and I can speak to that further in the conversation, um, but in terms of just managing uh, how we deal with children and support them, uh, we really wanted to tailor something that's very specific for young people living in rainbow families. So that was the motivation um, for our programming and also for the article. Yes, and we're um, partnered with Rainbow Families as well. Um, who Great organisation. Like, absolutely brilliant and love the team and definitely do everything that we can to support their, their incredible work. Now, in general, you know, you know, building resilience and protective factors in young children um, and young people, of course, is is a valuable, um, of course, yes. to their supporting their, their long life well-being. I'd love to know from your perspective, why do you think it's important for parents just to discuss child protection at home 
and have this as, as, a, as a, a general conversation that, that is, is an open conversation. Absolutely. And really the fundamental reason is that when children uh, don't have those conversations at home, either one of two things happens. So they don't get the information at all or they get their information from the wrong sources and they end up connecting the wrong dots. Uh And that can be very confusing. And in an age of information overload, we don't want to watch TikTok to find out how young men and women should, you know, have respectful relationships. That's really not where young people should be getting their protective behaviours and their sense of respectful relationships and how to communicate effectively with people. So, Parents are the first teachers and it's absolutely imperative that we take control of the content that our children um, get in this context. So, yes, children will have some programming at school. It's written into the PDHPE curriculum across the country. So all children will deal with some sort of protective behaviours program. Yes. Program programming at some point however like anything maths English language whatever it is if you do work at home and if a parent is involved it just enlivens the content it becomes more relevant and it becomes more real and when it comes to protecting children really sadly the place they are the most vulnerable is in the home yes so that all also adds an additional layer and that makes things challenging because of course there are some families in which they will not touch this content because it is of course you know they are perhaps a bit more vulnerable and they you know they may not recognize that there's a problem um, so we have certainly tried to support uh, all families but recognize that we're a part of a broader system that needs to work together so we need to work with schools with organizations with the community, with policymakers, yeah, and also with children, with families themselves, to attack this uh, and to have a multi-pronged approach, so that um, we can, over the long term, prevent violence uh, against everyone. Mm-hmm. And you know, in saying that, prevention work is so important, um, and of course, the attitudes and behaviours that lead to violence are often learned from others. So, do you think that by parents fostering like protective practices? Um, in the home, that their children will, um, that it, it will prevent children um, becoming a future victim or, or perpetrator of violence overall? Absolutely, Rachel. And that's really critical to mention because there's two sides, of course, to violence and there's lots of different perspectives. Of course. So we are trying to, you know, create programming that can support parents. Yes. Because as you've just said, in it's not just about preventing your child from being a victim of violence. It's actually about teaching attitudes and behaviours mm-hmm. that help young people to grow up in a way where they can be not only tolerant of different perspectives and things that they don't agree with, but actually deeply respectful and understand difference and feel completely comfortable with everyone as they are and accepting of that. So parents have a lot to do with that. Mm. And we can find ourselves in a situation where, in theory, as a parent, yes, you agree with protective behaviours entirely and you want your child to be safe, but you don't realise that the way you talk about particular groups in the community or the attitudes you speak about in the house or the way you speak to your partner mm. is actually sending a mixed message. Absolutely. So really important that we we do everything we can, not just to work with children, but also to support parents in understanding okay you know what maybe I do need to watch my language or maybe I do need to find nicer ways of communicating with my partner so that I'm I'm backing up um, what we'd like children to know all along. 
Yes. So how does this help create the conditions then that make violence less likely to occur in the first place then? Absolutely. So what we know is that in households where there is already violence Mm -hmm. or where there is intolerance or where there are a range of other vulnerabilities, um, the the risk of any form of violence is increased. And our broader project is not just about child protection. It's actually about reducing violence uh, in general with a specific focus on reducing violence against women and children. And so it's you know, it's really important to understand a little bit of context. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, what, we, what we're trying to do really is focus on bringing out um, some clear and specific strategies um, that, that everyone can use so that we are creating an environment where risk is reduced. So if parents are identifying, okay, you know what, maybe I do need to change the way that we do things in the house or perhaps we do need to spend some more time talking about um, certain things because, you know, some families okay. find things difficult to talk about. Even basic things like being okay with the expression of emotion. Like a lot of parents get really triggered when their child sort of sooks about something mm-hmm. or whines about something. Um, but actually when children have a problem and they feel like they want to express a frustration or whatever a negative emotion it is, if parents shut that down... And don't acknowledge it, validate it. Absolutely. Then that, that can be a problem over time. So what we're trying to do is create that environment. Now, when we have a, a home where there are additional risks or um, where, you know, parents aren't open to these conversations or children aren't connected to other networks, that means that when there is a problem, children may not talk to parents about it. They may feel afraid to mention that they've had an issue because perhaps they get in trouble every time they. Because well, if they know, can't they talk to, to them about up. small things and I'm, I'm upset for whatever reason, something happened at school today exactly. or what have you, what's the likelihood they're going to open up about something big? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly it. Absolutely. Um, But also, you know, very specific things like making sure children understand, okay, well, who do I talk to? Mm -hmm. Not only who do I talk to, how do I talk to them? So really trying to build up these these factors because, yes, what we know is that as you reduce uh, risk factors and increase protective factors, there is a much um, reduced likelihood of violence occurring now and in the future. Okay. And sadly, Rachel, this is a really long-term view. So those working in violence prevention are looking at creating change that we may actually not see for 50, 60 or 70 for years. Generations so we're to come. looking Yep, it, it, it is. It's really starting now um, to change attitudes and work on this in the long term. Okay, so, so we, we recognise it's, yeah, it needs to happen over time. But let's say now parents want to start making the change. So, you know, where, where do parents start if they choose to start wanting to discuss personal protective and child safety at home with their children? I mean, what are some, maybe some simple protective behaviour behaviour strategies that parents can teach their children? Is there anything that you can share with us at the moment? Absolutely. So I guess the main thing is that parents shouldn't be concerned about starting. Just jump in, start anywhere. There's lots of materials available. Mm -hmm. Um, The important thing is that once you make a decision, you just stick with it with your your young person. Um, So the first thing really that is, you know, really critically important for young people is that they do have a support network. Uh, sounds silly. We all think that our children have friends, they have adults, people in their life. What we know is that the person most likely to harm a child is actually someone that they're close to. So we encourage parents to work with children to identify five trusted adults 
that a child feels comfortable with, very important, the child has to feel comfortable with approaching this adult. The parent might not even know who the adult is. It might be a staff member at school um, or, or something that the, someone that the, the parent doesn't know too well. That's not a problem as long as the child feels comfortable approaching. We want a couple of people in the family, but we also want people outside of that immediate family network in that, school, in that network for young people. And I'm holding up my hand of five because we actually call it a helping hand. So five contacts, very simple visual for children um, to create a, a network of contacts. These are people that they can approach when they're in trouble. And it sounds so simple, but actually so many children try to reveal that something's happened to them, try to alert an adult, and the adult just doesn't hear or isn't expecting it, so doesn't recognise those signs. So trying to support your child by helping them develop a network of trusted adults, teaching them how to say no. And we all know adults, Rachel, that can't say no. You know, people really struggle to say no to others. Now, if you're a child or a young person and an adult is asking you to do something you don't feel comfortable with, it's very hard to say no for different reasons. Um, young children might not know how to, you know, say no. And older children just might be totally embarrassed or absolutely frozen in place and not know how to respond. Or they might want to conform to peer pressure. Um, they might want to, you know, be included. They, they don't want to feel excluded. So um, teaching young people to say no really important. And also, te also teaching people how to ask for help and, and trust their instincts. And we do that, um, your parents can do that through really recognising and accepting young people's emotions and helping them to recognise those emotions themselves by using language to describe things, by noticing how other people are, uh, you know, showing their body language, what's the look on their face, oh, you must feel sad today or you look really happy today, that sort of thing, really verbalising emotions for children and young people. So and there's it, some basic, basic things. And I understand um, it's, it's, it's very important for parents to use the correct language for body parts as well. Um, and is that something that, 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 I mean, I would love to, I mean, parents speaking to children about per, personal protective behaviours is, is a difficult conversation for any parent. And it we is. Acknowledge that. Um, but I'd love to understand a little bit more about how Prosper has made these conversations easier for parents to have open discussions on the topic. Um, and in particular, I mean, is there anything about the program that you can tell us that the parents can implement in their home as well? Absolutely. So look, essentially what we've done is we've tried to make it very easy for people. We have a resource for parents specifically. Uh, and really what this does is it talks about a framework um, for utilising program materials that we provide. Um, and it's very descriptive. So reading through our parent resource is very, very clearly indicates, okay, well, this is how much time you're going to need. These are the resources that you should use for whatever age you have. So we've tried to make it as specific as possible. Mm. And then putting in place for parents some <laughs> I guess some content that we really want to be thought-provoking. We want parents to reflect on their own circumstance and say, okay, we do really well at this and these are all our, our great protective factors. What are some of the risk factors or what are some of the things that we can improve on within our household? And that's very tailored to each person. So when we're talking to parents, we're not wagging the finger. You know, we're trying to just get parents to reflect 
on their, on their circumstances. <clears throat> we then have resources for each age group. And the resources are there specifically so parents can just take them off the internet um, and either use them online or print them up and use them with young people. So for very littleies, um, for sort of under pre uh, under school age, so preschool age, we have very simple colouring in activities. We have our helping hand activity to help young people identify five people that they trust and can approach if they need help. For primary school age children and for high school age children, we have two separate workbooks and they are designed to take young people through specific strategies um, and concepts because a lot of this stuff is very conceptual and it's hard, it for example, to talk to someone about what does feeling afraid mean to you, what is safe what is unsafe mm. um, and we do that with a very a simple exercise by just helping young people to think about okay what is a smell that makes me feel safe it might be cookies baking it yes. might be the smell of flowers or their mum's perfume but what's an unsafe smell that might be a fire um, or the smell of blood or something like that um, and then we do that with all of our senses so very simple activities um, that are broken down into small workable uh, tasks mm -hmm. so that young people can just work at a pace they feel comfortable at with, with their families. So we've tried to make it very easy to implement. It's, it's simply looking at the content, um, doing a little activity, and for parents, uh, certainly of younger children, they will need to drive this approach. But yes. for older kids, they can actually probably work through it themselves. And, and with some of the older, the resources for older children, some of the content actually is quite complex. It does um, talk, for example, about um, dating and vi uh, violence in dating and things, which are <coughs> maybe things that a young person doesn't necessarily want to have a conversation with their parent about. Um, and that's okay, but parents do need to check in with with their young people well, if they are using these materials. Yeah, and I wanted I want to speak about that in just a moment. But I wanted to know initially also, I mean, how important is it that parents understand the key messages and the content before having the conversations with their children as well? It is important um, because we think that children know. We think they understand safe and unsafe. We think, yes, of course, my kids know to come to me if they've got a problem. That's not that's not the case. You, mm. you don't know what's in your child's mind. You don't know what the context of their experience is. And you don't know the messages that you may be sending your child that may actually be contradictory to the words that are coming out of your mouth. So mm -hmm. really important that we all understand as parents um, what we're actually going to be talking to our child about. And, and I certainly encourage parents, if there are concepts that, that you, you're actually not familiar with, and look, let's face it, in this day and age, there's certainly some things going on in social media that we may not always be completely on top of or understanding. So we've put a lot of resources in there to help parents really get uh, get a grip with with the content. It's not complex stuff. This isn't rocket you know, rocket science, mm. but it is important if you're going to be talking to young people, for example, about 
anti-LGBTIQA plus behaviour. If you're going to be talking to young people even about the concept of safety, mm-hmm. that we understand it ourselves because it's not something that can easily be defined. Many of these things require you to work with your child so that they can build their own understanding. Um, so really important that parents have a good grasp but also not don't be intimidated by it. It's not, it's not difficult. This is just much, uh, a lot of common sense, but certainly keeping us in touch um, with with what's going on and, and reminding ourselves as adults that these are skills that are really good for family and personal resilience and personal safety. So in saying that, how can parents then best implement the content from the resources? I mean, how much time should they be putting aside as well? Absolutely. So look, we we would suggest that this is a, a process that parents really uh, continue throughout a child's life. It doesn't matter if you're starting young or when your child's already, you know, in their teens. Um, if you want to run the program from start to finish, it will take usually between about four to six Uh, sessions for the younger kids content and up to eight to ten sessions for the older kids content however what we're talking about here is not an hour-long lesson we're talking about bite-sized chunks of information that parents can work through with their kids in maybe 10-15 minutes with the older kids it's more about having a conversation or just checking in with your child to make sure that they're okay and they understand what they've read the content that they've uh, worked through with younger kids, they're simple activities, a colouring in sheet. Um, th- this should certainly be seen as something that <coughs> parents can do very easily over a number of weeks. Or, you know, we've got the, the next school holidays coming up soon, the big one at the end of the year. Perfect time to just have a conversation with your child once a week and, and say, okay, well, let's just use this opportunity to talk about something really important and it, it might be something that we don't discuss um, normally but we're going to start discussing um, being safe in our house and here are some of the ways that we can do it. So um, it's really up to parents. You know, if you sat down and worked through stuff with your child, you can get it done in a few hours. Mm. Uh, or if it's a young, you know, with the young kids, we're literally talking colouring sheets and a five-minute activity. It's not it's not lengthy stuff. But we tend, to, you know, we would suggest this isn't something to sit down and do. It's not like reading a book uh, all at once. So it's just a little bit here and then a little bit next week. The idea is it's, it is actually learning and teaching skills. If you're learning a new language, if you're learning a new skill, you don't just go to class one day and then you have everything that you need in your head. You actually need to revisit it over a period of time and check back in. So really try to, you know, we're encouraging parents to work on things um, over a bit of time. So certainly the school holidays coming up at the end of the year, that's a really good passage of time which would let parents not only cover this stuff easily with their child but their children work through it but also just revisit it and reinforce concepts and we do encourage uh, families to check back in with this content uh, regularly. So it's it's really sort of breaking down barriers and and making it a, a very free-flowing conversation an open comfortable conversation in the home is what I'm hearing and I'm hearing also so parents should remind their children that it's okay to ask questions as they're learning as well. And, Very much. And for them to stop if it, I guess, anything that's mentioned sort of makes them feel uncomfortable as well, I would say. Is that right? Very much. Very yeah. much. I mean, some of the content where we, 
certainly with the older children, you know, some of the content we are we are presenting things that may have happened to a child, such as bullying. You know, lots of kids experience bullying. It might be really difficult for them to talk about bullying or to, if they've just come off a, a school term that's been difficult, they may not, you know, want to sort of plunge back into that. But really important that we do teach children to have those strategies. So if, yeah, if your child is feeling uncomfortable with the content or they don't want to, to go there, that's fine. Just leave it. Come back to it. This isn't, we're not forcing this stuff. So how children. often should parents check in with their children after they've had a conversation as well? Absolutely. So we, we really do uh, recommend that, you know, every couple of years your child is is looking at this entire package of content again. And, and that's really because they will likely have moved into another stage. So they might start as a very young child doing the, the preschool activities and then within a few years they've moved on to more complex ideas. So certainly every few years they should be re-looking at the whole uh, package, uh, which won't take very long if you've already done it before. Um, but if we're checking in, it should be quite regularly. Just check in with your child, have a conversation once a month or so. Now, do you remember who are the five people in so, your network? So you repetition is really needed then, yes. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, checking in and having those conversations. Yeah, and and, and possibly may even make a calendar note every month or so to check in and to talk yeah. to your children about um, what has happened um, in the past, what they learnt, what they've remembered, um, and things as you were mentioning before about the warning signs and the safety signs. So just to remind them how and where to get help if 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 they need it as Absolutely. well. Just as you said, Absolutely. is it something that we just don't have one conversation and leave? It's so a repetition is sort of really needed. Would you say? It certainly is. Yep. Okay, wonderful. And the, the ages that the program is broken into, you just you mentioned it very briefly before. But from what age can parents start implementing and, and teaching this program as well? Sure. So realistically, parents can, from the time your child is born, you can start doing things in the home that encourage children to grow up with the right approaches that will help them with their protective behaviours. As an example, uh, making it okay for a child to cry or have a negative emotion without tut-tutting or telling them to stop sucking or anything like that. So really from the word go, from the time your child is born, you can use the materials and um, really work in some of the, the content into your home environment. We have set up the first resources to be for children that are old enough, you know, to, to colour in. So once your child is able to colour in, they can start using our colouring materials and that's designed for preschool age children, but it can be, you know, any child under the age of five or six who's able to colour in. Then we have primary school aged children um, and a package of resources that is suitable for them. And we have high schoolers. Now, of course, there are some high schoolers who are in the very lower years of high school who actually are probably developmentally um, or socially a little bit less uh, less in high school than their, their physicality. So if you've got a child who is not, who you know is not developmentally ready for the high school content or not developmentally ready for the primary school content, then just use the package of resources below that. Um, so that the, the, uh, the preschool content or the primary school content. And, uh, and, and I did actually... 
open up yeah. some of the information that it's very user-friendly as well um, and it's broken down. I hope so, yes. It is very much so. And I, I noticed that there is the, something called the posh approach um, in the program. So I just love re- really briefly if you could just quickly just just touch touch on what that is and um, I guess as, as more of an introduction, I guess, to anyone watching and listening as well. So what is this posh approach? <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, that's the acronym that we use to just basically give parents a framework for teaching protective behaviours and, and more importantly to creating an environment that is right. safe and encouraging for children. So the first, uh, the P is personal protective factors. That's really just teaching children the protective strategies in the programming. Um, The O is for opportunities, and that is using a whole range of everyday opportunities as learning experiences for young people. It can be as simple as just, you know, if you're at a park and your child is safe, but perhaps they're uh, they're potentially, you know, with another child trying to decide who's going to get onto that piece of equipment, we're going to just leave your child to figure it out themselves, give them an opportunity to learn negotiating skills. Mm -hmm. The S is or safe people and places. So it's helping your child by not only auditing your own home environment, your own family environment, but just, okay, where are they going every day? They're going to school, they're walking to the bus stop, um, they're going to after-school care, whatever it is. What are the key things that they should know on the way to school? Who are the people and the places that can help them stay safe in that environment? And uh, H is for home. And that is really just what you're doing in the home, in your family environment to support children. So that posh approach, P-O-S-H, personal protective factors, opportunities, safe people and places and home, just a framework for parents to use to teach protective behaviours. Awesome. Now, we've covered a lot in this chat today. I guess if you were to summarise Overall, I just, I guess your key messages for anyone watching and listening on this topic, what would they be? Start young and make it fun. When you're teaching young people protective behaviours, this isn't scary stuff. It's simply skills that young people can use all the way through to adulthood um, that can just help them to stand up for themselves, increase their protective factors, reduce their risk factors. So don't be intimidated by it. Just dive in, use the resources that we've provided. Um, and particularly if you're in a rainbow family, they're especially for you. Yes. So how can families access a program then? Uh, download straight from our website um, and certainly from the the uh, article that I wrote on your blog. So uh, our website is prosperprojectaustralia.org. Awesome. Thank you so much today for highlighting, you know, the additional complexities um, children living in rainbow families face. And it's a really um, important reminder for us to be mindful about these issues and also everything that your program um, provides parents. Because as mentioned, it is a very uncomfortable conversation to have, but when a program is developed specifically to help break down those barriers and just to make it easy and as much as possible to make it fun and age appropriate, yeah. um, there's really no reason why parents shouldn't be having these conversations at home. Exactly. So really really grateful for your time. Now, if anyone's got any other questions, um, and of course, we're going to have all of those links um, to your website and everything else in our show notes. But if anyone's got any other questions, where can they find you guys? Uh, so we're all over social media or on our website, or you can just shoot us an email, mail at prosperprojectaustralia.org and we'll answer. Karen, this has been a wonderful chat and I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you. And um, our door's always open, so I hope for another chat again in the not-too-distant future. But congratulations on all the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you for your time. Take care. Thanks a lot, Rachel. Appreciate it. Okay, bye. Bye. 
I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kiddypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kiddypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.